Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. I'm reading out of, uh, off of my iPad, my non-analog digital uh, Bible today. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says this. Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is called the Great Commission, and this is what each one of us have been called to participate in. And so this entire month, we have been um, exploring what does it mean to live life on mission. And uh, the first week, we talked about what the mission is and, and explored that and how we can participate. And last week, we talked about the story. We talked about the story of it and the importance of telling our story, how God has intersected with our lives, and then connecting that to God's story, which is in Scripture of the story that God is telling. And when we do, the big idea of last week was that when we tell our story, we, have a, we give people a chance to meet the God that we know when we tell our story with them, when we share our story with them. Uh, last week, at the end of our service, before we get into the message today, uh, I wanted to take a brief moment. We have a response time at the end of our services normally. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. I just want to let you know right up front that at the end of the service today, I'm going to call people out of their chairs uh, to respond to God in what would be considered more of a uh, more traditional altar call. I don't want to freak you out. I felt like the Lord really wanted us to do this today, so I'm just warning you in advance that God is going to speak to our hearts today, and he's going to challenge us. I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything crazy, I promise. But normally, we have these tables set up where we have stations where people can respond in different ways, and one of those response stations is a questions box where an individual who we want to give a space for people to say, I, I don't know what I think about this, or you said something and I don't, I don't know what I, what I think about, or I have a question, would you pray for me? Or maybe, maybe you might take some time in the service to explain or to give a, uh, an explanation or something like that. And so last week we had an individual put a question in the questions box, and I wanted to read it, and I wanted to just kind of give you my thoughts on it. It doesn't have a name, and uh, I don't know who it is from, but this is the question. It says, inserting God into our story. That was kind of the, what we were talking about last week. The question says, how do we discern and know that it was God acting in the story and not just something that would have happened anyway, right? So last week, the message talked about how we can look at our story, look at the patterns in our life, and then we want to find God in our story. How has he been guiding us? How has he been uh, speaking to us? How has he been drawing us to him? How, what, how can we see him actively moving in those spaces? And then telling that shared story. So it finishes with how do we avoid imposing God into our story when it may or may not have been him in the first place? That's a great question. And I don't have an ironclad answer for you because this is what we do as Christians, right? This is about faith. And 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 I would say to you, please don't hear me as that is a cliche. Because I'm not trying to give you a cliche. I have often asked this question myself in my life, even as a pastor. I want to be transparent with you. And I would like for you to know that your pastor has questions. I have questions. I have doubts. There are days where I wonder, God, is this real? Let me just tell you that. I mean, there are moments where I lay in bed at night and I think, what am I doing with my life? Is this really what it's all supposed to be about? There are times where things are hard and I wonder, God, are you there? 
You know, because it's not like, it's not like, you know, uh, lights open up from heaven and, you know, when you see God just sort of standing there at times, it's not like that most often. And so I have, I understand the feeling of how do I know when God is really speaking to me? How do I know when God has been present in my story? Because what I don't want to do is I don't want to tell my friends who may be already antagonistic of, of who God is, or maybe, they, maybe they're doubting as well, or they think I'm silly, or who knows whatever source that comes from. I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to tell them that God did something in my life or that he showed up in my life when it was really just me or some series of coincidences. And so I understand that because you don't want to damage you know, their thing. Maybe they, they feel like that they try to experience something that I've experienced and then perhaps it leaves them feeling worse off than they were before. I understand these feelings. And so as I received this question, and I, I got it this morning actually, so I'm just trying to go off of the best that I can here. I didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare, but I wanted to honor when someone asked a question. I told you we would, we would take time out of our service because we want you to know that you're welcome here. People who have questions are welcome here. So I was praying this morning, and I felt like the Lord brought me to this because I thought, how do I tell anyone? How did I even tell myself? How do I really know? How do I know it's not just a coincidence? How do I know that the good things that have happened in my life, how do I know that God was there and intervening and it wasn't just, just some random set of coincidences? And this is what I felt like just popped up in my heart. James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This is so interesting, and I, I love this, and I believe this with all my heart, and I'll explain it in a second. James 1, 16 and 17 says, Don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. A lot of what we're going to talk about today is relationships and how God chooses to use other people because that's his MO. And we're going to talk about why that is and how that happens and where I get that from. But I believe that God is the source of all good things. I believe it in my heart. And I believe that through faith. And there is a part of me that says, but how do I know that when someone sent me a check in the mail when I was struggling financially that they just didn't know that I needed help and they thought, oh, I'll be a good person and do that. I don't really know that. But what I believe in faith is that my Father in heaven who gives good gifts, that every good gift, every perfect gift comes from, Father, from the Father above, knows what we need, and uses people to send those things. And I think that's what happens a lot of times, and that's why we get confused, because we feel like the things that happen usually happen from other people. But there are also times in my life where some things are just uncanny. There are things that have happened in my life that, have, that would be an extreme coincidence if it was a person or if there was just some coincidence. And I have to make a choice, and I know that this is not a hard, fast, ironclad answer, because there are none in our faith, we have to believe. Even the, even the beautiful concept of the death of Christ and the resurrection that is what our entire faith is built on still requires faith. But I believe that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. And when it might seem like the things that God has been doing in our lives, when we look back over our story and we think, God, like where have you been? And we look and we see the, the patterns and we see those things, I believe that the legacy that happens oftentimes, the legacy of, of my parents or maybe your parents or churches and the people, that is, that is God's presence on earth in a real time. That just because a human being gives you a gift or a human being is there when you need them doesn't mean that God isn't in that. But I believe that that is the, that is the literal manifestation of who God is working through his people. And so 
How do you know when God has been present in your story? I think in one sense you have to have an understanding or at least you have to consider that God is working behind the scenes, even in the smallest of things. And then I think it does require faith that God is good, that he loves you, that he sees you, that he is, that he is not beyond intervening divinely, but that most of the time he also chooses to use other people because he knows that's what we need the most. That's uh, the best answer that I could come up with with like an hour's thought process. Um, I would love to talk with you further about this if you're, if you're interested or maybe ask more questions. That's fine too. Um, so I just wanted to take some time this morning with that and begin our, uh, our message time with that moment. But uh, I'm with you. So you're not alone in this. I have questions. And, uh, I, but I just believe God is good and I believe he is present. Um, so, but let's talk further if you'd like. I would love to have coffee or dinner with you and we could talk further about this if you'd like. Okay. So today, um, we're going to talk about relationships, and I kind of talked a little bit about already um, what we're going to be discussing and how it's important, Um, but relationships, relationships that we have in life are incredibly important, whether they're our moms, our dads, our friends, our people that we, that are friends, those who are close to us, and they shape us. They're important because the people that we know, for good or for bad, they shape us into who we are. And there's something about relationships that every one of us craves, And so I think that it's important for us to understand that God is the creator of relationships. It's important for us to understand why. And then we're going to see in this idea of living life on mission how when we when we engage in relationships, that it's actually the probably the single most effective manner to share Jesus with people. But before we get into that, I want to tell you a story. When I left for college in the summer of 1999. I was a lonely and a broken man. My teenage years were really rough, and I didn't feel like anybody really knew me. I remember feeling like no one knows who I am, and I wanted to get as far away from home as I possibly could. And I remember feeling like I don't have any real friends. I had friends, but I didn't feel like anyone knew me. I didn't feel like I could be myself. I didn't feel like I could truly ever, you know, be Jared um, I felt like I was always pretending to be different people. I felt like people knew a lot of things about me that weren't true or, or, or in, in various things like that. And so I left to go to school. And I remember getting down there to Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. And I remember praying, God, would you please send me a friend? That sounds so pitiful, doesn't it? God, would you please send me a friend? But what I was really praying was a deeper prayer than that. It wasn't just I want a friend because I'm new on campus. It was I would you send me someone that I can be myself with because I'm tired of feeling alone all the time? That's kind of how I felt. I remember praying that. In the very first week of school, God brought along a man named Scott Phillips. And he and I hit it off. We always joke that we share, you know, two minds of the same brain, two halves of the same brain. We became roommates shortly after uh, we, that first semester. We hung out all the time. And 18 years later, Scott and I are still incredibly close with each other. And for the first time in my life, I felt a deep connection with someone who wasn't a family member. I don't know if any of you can identify with this or not. When you find a person in your life who, one, accepts you for who you are, where you feel safe, when you don't feel like you have to pretend, you can just be yourself. I had never really had that feeling outside of a family member. And and for some of us in the room, maybe you never even had that with your own family. Why am I telling you this story? It's because through my relationship with Scott, I have grown so much. 
God has used that relationship in so many ways to show me who he is, to show me what he is like. He's brought healing to my heart. He's taught me about what life is like, how God sees me. God has used Scott to challenge me and to see and how to see people like he does. And that's the beauty of relationships is that when we can find a place where we don't have to have our guard up, we can put it down, we can be ourselves, then we can finally begin to see things about ourselves that people can't show us. That's when we can have the opportunity to be able to see things differently, to learn and to grow differently. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity that God has given me in that respect. And Scott, if you're listening, man, I love you, brother. You know, I hear people say all the time, I wish I had more friends. I wish I had greater relationships. Or sometimes I hear people lamenting how they don't have relationships that offer any real substance or a connection. I mean, I think a lot of us can, can identify with this, feeling like we don't have a relationship or we can't really know someone deeply or, or maybe we wish we had more people in our lives. And so we know that without relationships, what ends up happening to us is we become very isolated. We know that we become stagnant and we begin to wither away like a flower that has been cut at the root. That's what happens to us when we don't have vibrant, meaningful relationships. But the flip side is also true. In healthy relationships, we find value. We find connection with people. We find meaning with people. Healthy relationships, I believe, are a picture of God and what relationships are supposed to be like. I believe that God created healthy relationships to be a picture of what it's like for us to live in relationship and communion with God, as well as what it's like to live in with other people. If we can understand, I believe if we can understand the power of relationships, and I think that we're going to see why it is that God is, why is God's chosen method of relating to human beings. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take four biblical foundations of relationships because we're talking about living life on mission, which is really about bringing the hope of Jesus Christ to the world. But another way of saying that is living life on mission means building relationships with people so that they can become a part of his family. So today, we're going to be talking about relationships that we can learn how to practically participate in the Great Commission in a way that is God's primary chosen method of relating to humanity. So the first of the four biblical foundations of relationship is this, is that God is relational. What do I mean by God is relational? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Does anything stand out to you there? You should, because I underlined it. Let us, this is God speaking, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, the interesting thing here is that this verb is first person plural. Now, normally when you and I talk about ourselves, we say I or me, you know, because I can't talk in a plural sense. But when we talk about a group, we say we or us. And so God here is speaking to himself and says, Let us make man in our image. So right away, we see this this concept here, this theological understanding that exists, that God exists in what is called a triune form. This is the first glimpse that we get of God in the concept of the Trinity that we talk about in Christianity. And we don't have time to go into all the theological implications of what the Trinity means. But in short, we've heard this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct individuals in one God. I understand that's a mind bender. It's incredibly difficult to wrap your head around it and mind around it. And we could talk about that at another time, another opportunity for coffee with your pastor um, or in life groups or whatever. But the point here is that that what we see is that God is inherently relational. Not only with himself in this passage of scripture where he's talking amongst himself 
in that kind of a concept. But then also in Genesis and all throughout the Bible, we see God talking in relationship with other people. For example, we see God talking and working with Adam in, in the garden and naming the animals in Genesis 2, chapter 19, or chapter 2, verses 19. We see God visiting with Adam and Eve when they're walking in the garden and talking with them in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. We see it all throughout Scripture where God is visiting people. He is speaking with people. He is inviting them into relationship with him, and he is intentionally choosing to work and with and alongside other people. We see it all throughout Scripture. That's who God is. That's what he is like. God is relational. But the second foundation of biblical relationships or biblical foundations of relationships is that now because of who God is, we too, each of us, have been created as relational. Well, how do I know that? I'm glad you asked. Genesis chapter 1, very, verse 27, the very next verse. So then God says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now, the Hebrew word here for image means model, likeness. So think of it this way, like modeled after. As human beings, we have been modeled after God. We have been created after the likeness of who he is. A few weeks ago, I actually had somebody ask me. I was having a conversation with friends, they said. And they said, we were talking about what does it mean to be made in the image of God. And there are so many implications to what the image of God means. What does it mean to be an image bearer as each of us are? Because the Bible says that all human beings are created in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, the way that I like to think of it is that every single person has different aspects of who God is. So if you were to put all of humanity together in all of their personalities, in all of their preferences, all of the passions, all of their skills, all of their talents, all of their abilities, you would get a glimpse of who God is and what he is capable of. And so when you see the concept of a person made in the image of God, it means that that person reflects some element or some concept of who God is on a greater scale. But in this case, specifically, the image of God literally means that we have been modeled after him. Modeled after him. And because we have been made in the image of God, that means that we are also inherently relational beings. In fact, God says specifically in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that it is not good for a man to be alone. Not just because guys will get into trouble by themselves, which is true, but because he knows that we need each other. And I believe that if he had created a female first, that it would have been the same. He would have said it is not good for a woman to be alone. Why? Because what does he do next? Immediately he creates a helper, a partner, which does not mean inferiority. In fact, it means a co-laborer, a co-worker. It means they work together. So God created another person for him to live life with because it's not good for you to be alone, man. You're going to be lonely. I know you need something. So he created another person so that we could live in relationship with each other. And that's why we crave connections with other people, because we have been created as relational. We have been created by God to reflect that aspect of his personality. And we are hardwired as human beings to relationally interact with other people. And this is the reason why we malfunction and why we break down when we are isolated, when we are alone. Now, I'm not talking about individuals who, you know, I, I know that there are people who, who feel like when I spend a lot of time with people, I actually get tired. There are people who, who, who life uh, and spending time and activities with other individuals is a drain at times. And I understand that. We're not talking about introversion or extroversion. Because those same people still need intimate relationships, even if it's just a few of them. And this is true of all humanity. 
that when we are isolated, when we don't feel like we have someone that we can share life with, where we can vent to, when we can dream with, where we can be ourselves with, where we could just go to a movie with or eat food with or take a walk with, it doesn't matter what it is. When we are isolated, we begin to wither away. When we are isolated, we malfunction. That's why they say the idle hands, the devil's playground. You've heard of that? That's the idea there is that when you're alone, you just, you become a different person. The worst of you comes out because you don't have someone to kind of keep you in check and to to help you process things. And it's because we are made in the image of God that we too are relational. So because of that, it's no surprise then for our third foundation is that God most often operates through relationships. You know, nearly all of the action that takes place in the Bible, nearly all of it, God reveals himself to someone who says, this is who I am, I'm calling you to something, I want to invite you into a relationship with me, I'm going to promise you something, and then what does he do? He sends them off to do something at his bidding, at his will. Almost every story in the Bible involves God saying something to a person or a group of individuals, and then they partner with him to accomplish it. Who am I talking about? Let's just give you a small list here. Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. And that takes us all the way through the first three books of the Bible, or seven books of the Bible, actually. We have uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then into Joshua. So that's six right there. All through it, the first three dudes that we talk about who literally had a face-to-face relationship with God. He invited them into something, and they walked with him to partner to bring about God's plan. That took place in the Bible. And then God speaks to a man named Samuel. Samuel is what we would call a prophet, a person who hears from God and then speaks to to God's people. He hears what God is saying and then exhorts it out to those people. And Samuel had a big chunk. In fact, there's two books of the Bible with his name on it, 1 and 2 Samuel. And he worked with kings, which brings us to the next guy, David. King David was another one who throughout Scripture had such an intimate relationship with God that he would speak to him. David wrote the Psalms, and Psalms are some of the most wonderful, some of the most beautiful passages of Scripture that resonate with us. Why? Because he heard from God about what was going on in his life, and he would insert it. Last week we talked about the story, right? The idea of what's happening in my life and then putting God in that place, seeing how he has moved. That's what the Psalms have done. Go and read them. How many times is David saying in the Psalms, he's saying, my life stinks. It's awful right now. It's terrible. I'm being surrounded on all sides. I've got enemies everywhere. They're trying to kill me. And then what does he say? He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's a command. He's telling himself to praise God. And he says, because he has lifted me up, because he has been faithful, because of his everlasting goodness. You see what I'm saying? The Psalms are David inserting God into his story, seeing where God has been present and believing in the future that God is going to show up like he has in the past. So we see David doing this, David interacting with God. David, oftentimes in his life, he would hear God, the Lord has said to do this, and then he would take his army or he would take his people or he would decree different laws in his, in his kingdom. We see more people, Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah. All of these people are influential individuals in the Bible. They, each of them have books of the Bible listed in their, in their name. Nehemiah was a man who heard the Lord speak to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. God wanted to rebuild his city. Could God do that on his own? Yes. Could God literally like a wizard just kind of cast a spell and make the bricks fall on top of each other? He could, but he didn't because he chose a human being to do it. He said, Nehemiah, I want you to rebuild the wall. So Nehemiah gathered people in relationship, and they rebuilt the wall. 
We see Jonah, God using a man to go to people that he hated. The story of Jonah is not about a whale. The story of Jonah is actually about a man who is disobedient because he hated people who were not like him. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was not in Israel. These were people who were not Christians, not Jewish people. They were pagans. They were heathens. And they had, had done a ton of things to them. They had invaded. They had caused problems for his people. And God says, I love the people of Nineveh, so I want you to go and tell them my goodness. That would be like God saying to our church, I want you to go to Syria and to preach to ISIS. That's kind of what this was like. And Jonah goes, no. And he leaves. The story of Jonah is about, is about a man understanding who God is, what he feels about people, even the people that we don't like, and how he wants to use us to go and help those people and to bring them to the knowledge of God. That's what Jonah's about. And then in the New Testament, we see Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and Paul and the countless other people. All of them have one thing in common. God revealing himself to them as knowable, as welcoming, as conversational, as participative, and as partnering. All throughout Scripture, we see that God's chosen method to reveal himself to the world is through other people. He chooses to say, I love my creation, and I'm going to do it with them, rather than on his own. A relationship with God is mutually beneficial, and this is how most often he chooses to operate. So our first three Foundations, the four biblical foundations of relationships. First, that God is relational. Second, we have been made in his image and created as relational individuals. And third, God most often operates through relationships. Now, because of that, we're talking about this idea of living life on mission. And here's where it's important and why it matters to us. Because the fourth biblical foundation of relationships is this. Is that the gospel thrives and spreads through relationships. Let me say that again. The gospel thrives and spreads through relationships. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47? This is a beautiful picture of what we see in the New Testament of the believers and how they spent their time, how they spent their lives together and what it was like. And we see how the gospel thrives and how it spreads through relationships. Verse 42 of chapter 2 in Acts says this. They devoted themselves... To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Let's pause there for a second. This is not just the 12, because it mentions the 12. So they devoted themselves to their teaching. That means that this is all the rest of them, everybody else. Okay, so all of the disciples, they were devoted together. Verse 43, everyone, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, verse 44, all the believers were together. And held all things in common. They sold their possessions and their property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And this is interesting. Every day the Lord did what? Added to their number those who were being saved. So this is so interesting because what we see from this passage that the byproduct of the gospel is the forming of relationships. That's what we see here is that when they said yes to Jesus, that now all of a sudden they had something in common with everybody else despite their race, despite their socioeconomic status, 
despite their, their, the place that they came from, despite their traditions, where they came from. And we're trying to model that here at our church. One of our core values is everyone is welcome. And relationships first. Those are the two first of our core values. And we want to model what we see in Acts chapter 2. That we will live life together. Because one of the byproducts of the gospel is that now we're born into a family. And in that family comes people who can love us, who can carry our burdens, who can, who can help us to grow and to understand and to move forward. And I see what God is like just as much through you or you as I read in God's word. That's part of it. We can see God acting and moving and working in the relationship of how he's working with other people. And that's one of the benefits of relationships. The gospel message at its core is about reconciling God and man and forming a restored relationship. That's what the core of the gospel is about. And from that place, we become a family with others who have also been saved. And we see in this passage that it creates a bond like no other. And it sets the example for each of us of how we should live with other believers. But it doesn't stop there. That's what the interesting thing is. This passage finishes by saying that every day there were new people added to their numbers. Every day, more people were added. How did that happen? It certainly was not an accident. I believe it was a keen understanding of how God-centered relationships operate. And I think it's critical for us to understand the pattern of God-centered relationships, if, you, if we want to be effective partners, effective participants, to live life on mission so that we can participate in the Great Commission. And so I want to give you three quick thoughts on what a God-centered relationship pattern looks like. And the first is this. We have to thrive in relationship with Jesus. This is the first thing. Each one of us, this is where it starts. We have to thrive in relationship with Jesus. This is something interesting that, John, that Jesus said in John chapter 15. Verses 4 and 5. This is Jesus himself speaking here. He says, remain in me and I in you. And just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. He says, I am the vine. And we don't know really what vines are. We think vines are things that Tarzan kind of hangs on in the jungle. So we're actually more thinking of like the, the branch, like the the root part of the tree, the trunk, and then the big branch. And then when he's saying branch, we're thinking more like twigs, okay? That's kind of the idea here. So the vine that Jesus is talking about is the main thick part of the tree. And then when he says branch, we're talking about the little, the little shoots that come off, okay? That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Jesus is the source of all good things in our lives. No matter how hard you work, no matter how much energy you expend, no matter how good of a person you are, no matter how much you try hard, it will never be enough apart from Jesus. No matter how much. The older I get and the more, the more I, things that I touch, I got to tell you, the more that I realize that without Jesus, I can't do anything. So much of the early part of my life, of my leadership life as a pastor, and whether a youth pastor or whatever, was really me in arrogance, thinking that I knew how to do everything, thinking that I was better than other people. I had a real problem with authority. I had a real problem with, with uh, taking uh, criticism or taking, uh, you know, assistance from people or suggestions. And, you know, I was frustrated, frustrated so many times by why I feel like I'm doing the best that I can. Why is it not working the way it's supposed to? And I've realized over and over again that it all starts with Jesus. It has to be in a thriving relationship with him. 
Because he says, you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing without me. But when I spend quality time in the presence of God, through prayer and worship and studying scripture and practicing spiritual disciplines, I find myself effective. I find myself strong. I find myself having a sharp mind. I find myself having ideas that are awesome. And I find that those ideas work because I put God first when I do that. That's what happens. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I thrive. And this is what is waiting for every one of us in a relationship with Jesus. I promise you that. If we would just build this into our lives, this is what each of us are invited to experience if you don't know him or you don't experience this. So the first thing that we have to do in a God-centered relationship is thrive in relationship with Jesus. But then number two, we have to share in relationship with other believers. So the pattern now moves from away from just me to a pattern moves into us. And we connect with God and we connect with each other. And the gospel grows within us and it transforms within us. And we become like who Jesus wants us to be. We become more like him as we spend time with each other. So God transforms us. We learn from him. We grow. We share our lives with the people in relationship. As we go to ball games, as we eat dinner with each other, as we celebrate holidays together, as we weep with each other when tragedies happen, where things are difficult, when we pray with each other, when we lift each other up, when we celebrate birthdays, all of these things that we do in relationship with each other. We become more like Jesus when we share that with each other. This is why we push life groups so strongly at our church. And this is why it's one of our core values, relationships first, because we see that in scripture. And when we spend time together in as many contexts as possible, we learn to become like Jesus in real time, practical ways. When we learn to love, we learn to serve, we learn to become generous And we find belonging, we find purpose, and we find value. All of this from one thing we have in common. That's our relationship with our creator. But just like we see all throughout scripture, these benefits are not for us alone. The pattern of God-centered relationships always turns outward. And so number three in the God-centered relationship pattern is spread the relationship to outsiders. We have to have a relationship with Jesus first. We then spread that. We share in that relationship with each other. But it is always turned outwardly to invite other people into that relationship. It was never meant to be alone. If we want our church to grow, we have to be intentional about extending our relationship to those who are not already here. That is the heart of God. And 1 Timothy chapter 2 is that it is God's desire for everyone to be saved. Everyone. That's the word there. But... We have to participate. How does that happen? Remember what I said earlier. God most often operates through relationships, and the gospel thrives and spreads through relationships. If we want our church to grow, if we want to see more people come to know Jesus, if we want to see any people come to Jesus, we have to extend the relationship that we've been given outward to other people who don't know it, who haven't received it. If we want our numbers to be added to daily, we each have responsibility to extend that outward. So God-centered relationships always start with Jesus, continues with each other, and always turns outward. So here's the point. If we are called to bring Jesus to the world, how do we do that best? This is the big idea if you're writing, taking notes, write this down. We best reflect God's character when we intentionally build relationships with those around us. We best reflect God's character, who he is at his core, when we intentionally build relationships with those who are around us. You know, God wants people to know who he is. God wants people to experience him 
And he sent Jesus to show the world how much he loves us and who he is and how he can offer a new life. And Jesus did his job, and now it's time for us to show who he is to us. Now, I wanted to, uh, as we finish the service, I mentioned earlier that I'm going to give everyone a chance to respond in a way that I feel like God's calling each of us to. And as we kind of wrap up our service, I know it's going long today, and I'm so thankful that we have a space like this to where we can do this. I've done a lot of soul searching lately in the past few years, learning to become the pastor that God wants me to be, and I've discovered something, though. I first have to become who God wants me to be before I can be the pastor that he wants me to be. And I think that's true of everything in life. I think we, with the desires that we have, the desires that God has for us, the dreams that he has for us, the things that oftentimes hold us back from those things are ourselves. I believe with, I just believe, and I know that this message is for me, and I'm believing it's for others in the room today. But I just felt like God said, Jared, you have to become the man that I called you to be before you can be the pastor that I want you to be. You know, our church is really, really good at teaching people to know Jesus and thrive in relationship with him. That's one thing that nobody can say that we're not good at. We make disciples here. I've seen so much life change in our church. It's beautiful. The stories that I tell people about what God has done in our services and done in relationships and how people have found healing and found life and found God. It's wonderful. Our church is really good at building relationships and growing together. But if I'm honest with myself, we have some work to do in the area of extending our relationship with Christ to those around them and adding them to our family. I'm just being honest with you. I feel like that's the case. Myself included. I have racked my brain and I have asked the Lord, God, why? Why is it that you've called us to the city? How come we're not reaching more people? How come we're, more people aren't coming to know you? And I felt like the Lord shine a spotlight all right on me in my personal private time with him and said, Jared, how many people are you talking to who don't know Jesus? What's your neighbor who lives right next door to you? What about the business owners that you know? in Butler Street in Lawrenceville? What about those people? Because I'm making excuses. God, I don't, I don't have a lot of Christian or non-Christian friends because I'm a pastor, so I spend most of my time with Christians. And, and that's true, I think, you know, and that's fine, but how can I ask for something? How can I desire something in my church and, 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 and ask people to, to follow into an area that I'm not going? That would be like me saying, hey, guys, we're supposed to go over there, and I'm just going to sit here and eat lunch while I'm asking all of you to go there, you know? just feel like, I feel like God is saying, I have something for your neighbor. I have something for your friend, for your coworker. I have something for the person on the street or the person in another country if you go on a trip. But who will go? I'm asking you, would you go? Will you participate? And I felt like God was just saying to me, Jared, I want those things and I know you want those things, but there's got to be something that's going to change. You got to be willing You've got to be willing to share and extend that relationship. Half of the Great Commission is teaching people how to know Jesus, or like we like to say here, encounter God in real life, and we're really good at that. But the other half is intentionally bringing people to Jesus to meet him. Our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, unreached people groups, and this is where we need to do a better job, and it has to start with me. I'm not going to settle any longer with living only half of the Great Commission. I'm just not going to do it. And I'm going to be honest with you and tell you this is a journey that I'm on and I'm scared because I don't know how to do things I'm not good at. But I'm trying to take steps. 
I brought, we brought Dylan Whitty in as our missions coordinator because he's passionate for people to know Jesus. And that's only pieces of it. But you know what our church is going to grow? Our church is going to grow and we're going to have more people and there's going to be people raising their hands on Sunday morning and saying, yes, I want Jesus. When we go out on the street and we do those things, it's going to happen when not just me, not just Dylan, but when we all rise up and we all say, let me do my part. And this is not a condemning message. This is really just for me, but I felt like God wanted me to share it with you. And so my challenge to each of you this morning is to take a hard look inside and ask yourself if you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone and find ways to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus and give them the gospel. I want to read that again. My challenge to each of you this morning, actually, we're going to pray. You guys stand with me and we're going to pray. Because I can say whatever I want and say it till I'm blue in the face. The Holy Spirit has to do a work in our hearts. So would you close your eyes? And Holy Spirit, I ask that right now you would speak. If I'm off here, God, then then you just close everyone's hearts and their minds. But God, if this is from you, I pray you will open every heart and every mind that you will just knock down the walls of our hearts that we would hear your heart. My challenge to each of you and myself this morning is to take a hard look inside and to ask yourself if you are willing to step outside of your comfort zone and find ways to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus and to give them the gospel. That challenge is for me today too. And so what we're gonna do, I felt like the Lord wanted to do this and this is not normally the way that we operate as a church and I just felt like there was something that is gonna change in our lives, something's gonna change in our hearts if we respond. We're gonna sing a song together and I'm gonna come down here to the front and we're gonna pretend this is like an altar like you would see in a traditional church. And we're not gonna do anything like kneeling and not gonna, you know, put my hands on you. I'm actually gonna be one of the people responding. And I just want to invite anyone, anyone who is challenged by what God has said today, who says, I will take a hard look. I will say yes. I will make it my intentional life's mission to bring people Jesus. If you're willing to do that, I'm going to stand down here and turn around and face the front and we're going to sing. And I invite you to join me. I'm not trying to lead anybody anywhere that I'm not willing to go myself. And it doesn't mean that we all have it all together and we know how to do it really perfectly or great. That's my story. So I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to do this. So that's it. I'm going to stop talking and we're going to sing. And Aaron, as you lead us, I'm just believing that God's going to do a work in our hearts. So I'm inviting you to join me down front. and we're going to close. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.